Welcome to Any Way You Want It. I'm your host, Kaylin McDuff. I'm an LA-based coach for women who want to create lives based on desire. Here on the show, we like to have real conversations about sex, relationships, and life through talks with everyday people, experts, friends, and everything in between, I give you a plethora of options, different relationship models, new mindsets, perspectives, and paradigms. Listen for what sounds interesting to you and follow that. This is just the beginning of you having a life designed entirely from the specificity of your desire. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Any Way You Want It. Um, I am delighted to welcome Craig Cassie to the show today. Uh, hi, Craig. Hey, Kellen. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for coming on. How are you? <laughs> I'm in hot and steamy DC right now, so I'm great. A little moist, but I'm pretty oh. happy. A little moist. Yeah. You know, I am in hot Los Angeles um, and I'm sort of like a lizard and I love the heat, but most people cannot understand that. <laughs> I think it's good for the soul. It's purifying. If it's going to clean out all my toxins, so be it. I'm sure I got a lot living in the city, but I welcome <laughs> the warmth more than I welcome the cold. And it's been a beautiful summer post pandemic here. Post-pandemic. Amazing. Um, well, so for my listeners, I will just let you all in on who Craig is in the world and um, and who Craig is to me um, before we just jump in and, um, and get to know him better. So um, Craig is a professional executive coach, um, a coach trainer, and a sex coach um, who works with people who want to experience abundance, adventure, and authenticity in every single uh, part of their lives. And, you know, I, um, I am just getting to know Craig. Like, this is actually our very first, like, one-on-one -on -one, um, conversation, which I sort of love doing this pattern with people, like, hearing, oh, you're an amazing person that everyone says I should connect to. Um, and I'm like, oh, let's just actually have our first conversation on the podcast and, um, and see what happens. I think it sort of brings a level of, uh, of suspense and surprise. Um, but who you are to me in the world, Craig, is just um, a complete abundance of permission and joy and authenticity. Like that is the thing that I have felt from you um, since I was introduced to you earlier this year, even though this is literally our first one on one conversation. Oh, I'm smitten. And I'm glad we get to have our, our burgeoning friendship recorded. You're hearing the very <laughs> beginning of what's going to be a long lasting friend love affair. So, <laughs> buckle oh, up, people. We're buckle up. <laughs> you know, but there was a moment where I tried to make it a an actual love affair. Um, I don't know if you remember, Craig, in the when we, we were introduced earlier this year through a mutual colleague. OK, and I'm just <laughs> I am just going to literally go back and reread this text chain because I think it is so funny. 
<laughs> I, I was going through my, um, my text messages. Sometimes, you know, I drop text messages here and there. And, uh, so, you know, every, like, I don't know, maybe once a month or so I'll sort of go through and be like, Oh, hold on. Are there any texts that I actually wanted to respond to? And at the time I remember I was, uh, I was like opening myself up to dating or something. And I thought that Craig was a man that I was like interested in dating. And I literally texted him and I said, I have zero. Hey, Craig, I'm just seeing the, this text and I completely dropped this. I have zero idea which app you're from or who you are, but I do know I only give my digits to men that I'm interested in. So let me know if you want to strike up a convo. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, and then Craig says, I think you got this all wrong. And that is when it hit me. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is Craig, that sex coach. OK. And like all the gears started shifting and I got kind of embarrassed. And I was like, you know what? It is all good. Like, you know, I am just shameless here in the world. Uh, so thank you for just really being with me in that moment of complete weirdness. <laughs> well, I was here for it. I was into it. And I bet the person who connected us, I immediately sent her a text being like, hey, did you mean to set us up for something else? Because I thought this was a business connection. And now we're talking dates or conversations. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty open-minded. I'm pretty pansexual these days, but I don't think our mutual connection knew that. So it was much to my surprise and my delight. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so funny. Um, well, so I, you know, I think where I want to start today is, um, I just want to hear a little bit about like how we got here. I mean, first of all, for someone to say they are an exec, a professional executive coach and sex coach, I just got to say that I have so much, um, admiration and respect for that, for just saying like, Hey, I can actually have it all. And I don't have to put away one of my identities. Oh, so yeah. I'm, like, well, I think we'll get into that a little bit later in the conversation. Um, but I want to just sort of backtrack to how we got to here. Like, tell me about the beginning roots of Craig and, um, and yeah, what your life was really like pre-transformation. Oh, okay. So back in the summer of 91, no, I'm kidding. But uh, so my background is this. I, I happen now to be a sex coach, right? An executive yeah. coach. And I've always been a positive psychology geek. But growing up where I was, I was in a suburban part of Philadelphia, where it's this weird mixture of conservative parents and slightly more liberal teens. And we and my family actually never talked about sex. And there were a few mm -hmm. topics we didn't touch on. Sex was one of them. Uh, money and leadership in life were other quadrants. If we didn't bring the office home, if, if anything good happened, we gave it to God. If anything bad happened, we gave it to God. So you can imagine mm -hmm. we're having a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with God and not a lot of one-on-one -on -one time talking about these real things with each other. So mm -hmm. my background actually is um, I kind of grew up in a vacuum where there was a lot of focus for me on athletics in school and an absolute dark, like next to zero 
conversations around intimacy and relationships and sex. And, you know, I identify as pansexual now. I thought I was maybe bi or just gay back in middle school. And I was still dating a lot of people to figure it out, but I was really doing it on my own. Mm -hmm. So for me, a lot of my initial growth from, you know, coming out in a conservative family, you know, becoming more of a community leader. Hell, back then, I'm such a millennial. I was live blogging my adventure coming out in my family, being an award-winning track athlete. And I ended up getting on MSNBC because they wanted a happy story. And I won Prime King my senior year. So wait, 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 what? (laughs) Hold on. So you ended up, you were blogging about this on what platform? I was a WordPress boy, but I grew up reading Blogspot. But my my chagrin with Blogspot was a lot of the queer media that I could find was about people who were um, gay and they were like experiencing party culture. And here I am, you know, pretty pretty tame vanilla, and, and you know, out of that scene as a 15, 16 year old boy, and I didn't find myself represented anywhere. And I thought, what a shame, because mm. here I'm looking at people older than me who I knew, like you just have a gut sense sometimes that they were some flavor of queer and they were closeted doing all the things that I wanted to do. And I told myself, if I find myself in those positions, if I'm a student council president, a, a national award winning track athlete, you know, whatever it is, that I actually have a moral obligation for me to come out, given that I had a lot of good foundations for myself, like I had access to it. So when push came to shove, you know, I actually came out, my family brought me back into the closet, which that's a, you know, can't really undo coming out to your high school, but they said I couldn't talk about it. And I rebelled by going online to share what it was like to live this duality of being open and trying to be authentic and managing my relationship with my parents who are on their own journey towards acceptance. Wow. And what, um, so you, so you came out at your high school as the, when you became the prom king, prom king. Oh, I came out like sophomore year. Then my parents mm-hmm. found out, you know, they found Mario Lopez and a white speedo on my laptop. That was a mistake. I told them I was looking for a masculine uh, role model and my dad didn't believe me. I don't know why that, I think that's pretty good role model back then. <laughs> And and what? So I just um wow, I just want to slow down here a little bit um because I just imagine there's so much gold in just your coming out story. So what um given that you didn't have the support of your family, what what um what was it within you that gave you the courage? to come out in high school. I mean, I, I think that's, you know, it's, it's really unique, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. And this would have been back in 2009. It's like the, it gets better campaign hadn't fully taken off. You know, we yeah. were experiencing like a string of suicides during that time, especially and they were being publicized more and more. Um, but I actually think the church for giving me the internal belief I needed to come out even without my parents' full support. Now, they still loved me and did a ton of things for me. So if there was like a pie mm-hmm. of support I had for my family, I want to be clear, they yeah. still filled a lot of my pie. And this was the piece that they really struggled with, which, you know, for their culture, yeah. their understanding, that's just where they were. But mm-hmm. in my church, the thing that I really um, latched onto growing up was that I was made in some way, shape or form 
the ideal image of God. And now, you know, I praise mm. the universe and believe in the divine of many shapes and sizes, but I told myself at a young age that I, you know, God must have a gay pinky or something. Um, <laughs> Cause here I am. And if he made me this way, then I'm ready to go. Wow. I remember going to a Christian summer camp and we had for the final day, an opportunity to actually write down a prayer around something we wanted help with. So I used this, my seventh grade year of Christian summer camp, but you can only imagine the fun that was had at a Christian summer camp. Oh, oh listen, Matthew. I also went to Christian summer camp. <laughs> no so, way. Which oh, one did you go I, to? <laughs> oh yeah. In Wyoming. So oh, don't, don't yeah. you worry. I know all about Christian summer <laughs> camp, Craig. I've never clapped a song so much. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you you so at Christian summer camp, you actually set an intention yeah, around. I, I gave a piece of paper, wrote you know on it. God, let me know if being gay is all right or if it's a sin. Like, give me a sign. And this is how performative the space was. They had this giant basin. Uh, cards that we, you know, we filled the basement cards and they had a fire. <laughs> so then they pour the cards in the fire. And as the smoke went up, all of a sudden I was actually awash with like a warm glow. And I thought to myself, holy fuck, like that's all I actually needed. Like I'm, I felt the presence of the spirit then and, and I'm not a practicing Christian now, but I yeah. took from that opportunity what made a difference for me. And I never stopped believing in that moment. And that wow. was really pivotal. That gave me the strength to come out for myself and own it independently before, you know, anything else to meet my parents where they're at repeatedly, because that's not a one-time conversation. That's me holding their hand and trying not to drag them over the edge of the cliff because I was ready and they weren't. And then also mm -hmm. to be so public about my sexuality in this community. Whoa. I just want to take all that in. That is amazing. It's really, I'm like, oh, I can just feel what that must have taken. And the thing that is so striking to me is the way that you took the gold that you had gotten from the church and used that as your strength. Like saying, hey, I know my own relationship with God, regardless of whatever the church is going to say, right? I know my inner truth. I know who I am. I know that I am like born from God. There, you know, because it's it's uh, most of the time, I think the, you know, the experience in the world that people are having um, is taking everything that the church says, right? And really using that to like be, to take the wind out of your sails. Yeah, easily and often. So I can give my yes. mom a shout out here. She has a beautiful, independent relationship with God. And yes. from a young age, she would actually share. We went to church all the time, but yeah. I asked her about why she would say, you know, I go because that's how I talk to God, but I talk to God all day long, every day. So she, in all her ways, was actually the clearing most likely for me in that moment mm -hmm. because her relationship was the example, 
that mm-hmm. it could exist outside the container, that it, it didn't have to mirror what we're being taught, that it could just be a relationship with spirit, with the divine. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Linda. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> Linda, well, I was and- listening and I appreciate you. <laughs> well, and then, you know, also just um, the way that you speak about your family is also remarkable to me, right? To just honor that like, hey, this was, you know, they were doing the best that they could with what they had been exposed to and they're coming from love and, you know, and I learned a lot from them. That is so unique too. So thank you for, um, yeah, just this conversation already feels so expansive. Um, okay, so MSNBC picked you up. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward two years. So, so uh, I'm out, I'm blogging, I win prompting, and I blog about not taking my boyfriend. So it wasn't my school's choice. My family asked me not to. My family was also being with a lot of the time. So I made the choice to not in support of my family, who also supported me in many, many other ways. This is kind of a give and take. So mm-hmm. I win prom king, write a story, recreate prom night for my boyfriend. And it goes viral. So MSNBC actually picks me up. And for the first time ever, I actually received backlash for not being uh, queer enough or for not doing the thing that supported my whole family. So here I am now being an activist with the world or for the world, right? Trying to show that you can be gay or queer and and successful and safe and happy and and authentic. And at the same time, because I actually honored an agreement that I co-created with my family, that I didn't bring my boyfriend to prom, I actually got hate mail too from people being like, why would you You didn't stand for something. Yeah. yeah. And it was this bizarre because this is like the highlight of my senior year of high school, this chance. And I still receive mail from people who watched me back then, who tell me thank you because they were in a hole and now, you know, watching me, they weren't, and they're much better, they're happy. But it was weird to actually face like this, this, this demand to be more than what was actually loving and tender at the time for my unit. And I realized that like not every person in the world actually held their family as a priority or in a high regard. And that there was actually a lot of wounds out there for people who want to say, damn the family or like fuck the family, do what you want for you. So yeah. I feel my heart clenching as I say that. I remember mm. the feeling of like, I'm doing the best I can with what I have supporting my parents with their own journey. And here you are asking me to push them off the ledge and I'm going to say no. Cause that's actually wow. not in support of who we are for each other or what I wanted back then. Yeah. Whoa. The, I'm just so, I'm so blown away by your relationship with your family, your relationship with, with the, with the, what you got from the church, your relationship with God. It is. Wow. Wow. So how did you like, what was your process of being with all of that? I cannot imagine being what, like 17, 18 years old. And going through, like, receiving hate mail. 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like people receive that all the time now. Like I'm on Twitter. I see people get canceled every other day for like things that really don't matter, let alone yeah. taking a stand for something where there's an other side who disagrees with you. So <clears throat> back then I had never seen it before and I hadn't received that experience elsewhere in my life, to be honest and frank. So yeah. for me, part of it was um, I put my blinders on. You know, now we yeah. tell kids, you don't read the comments. You post your creative work and, you know, the lovers will come and the haters will post and you just don't engage because they're not here to fill you up. They're here to, to explore their own pain and put it on you. And yeah. that was kind of my approach back then was like, I'm going to take all the good I can and I'm not going to explain myself fully. I did write a post to try to explain. And even then it was, oh. you know, abundantly filled with comments questioning who I am as if there's much to question about an 18 year old high schooler. Um, but it really was a chance to, to say, no, I'm going to piss some people off. And that's actually okay. And it doesn't make me wrong for people to be mad. And it doesn't make me wrong for people to not understand. And it's not also my job to fix their anger or to force them to see my side because they might not be committed to it. And I'm committed to something else. Yeah. Just having that clear distinction. I'm just in awe that at the age of 18, like <laughs> I went on a lot of long walks by myself. I'll tell you that. This was before I ever did mushrooms. So all I can think is my long walks in my neighborhood and a heavy meditation practice from the age of 15. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, I can't imagine at the age of 18 having that realization of like, oh, okay, they just have a different commitment than me. Like, it's not actually my job to fix them. I don't have, and I don't have to prove anything to them. It's the other thing. What a lesson. Wow. Okay. Well then, and how did, um, things start unfolding in your life, uh, from there, you know, on your sexual journey, your identity journey. Yeah. So, you know, quickly go off to a very sexually liberated Jesuit institution, Georgetown University. <laughs> I say that both tongue in cheek, but my year when I went there was the gayest year they ever had. Like we had the largest <laughs> openly queer population. And after really? this got bigger, oh yeah, Georgetown's like known for being mm. super queer. And, and so is GW and a lot of these DC schools. And um, for the first time I was met with actual people who were queer and not just me being the only representative for an entire 1000 plus person school. So mm. it was a journey to say the least. Uh, mm. My MSNBC video went out that spring before and that fall when I got on campus, people already knew who I was. So I didn't get a chance to come out because the LGBTQ resource center had actually shared my video. As I mentioned, I'm coming to Georgetown to, to celebrate me. But when I got to campus, there wasn't a, um, there wasn't a time for me to introduce myself. So a part of my journey was almost, I don't want to say robbed, but like I was oh. uh, removed from that responsibility. And I was known as a gay athlete for a hot minute. Um, and my dating life kind of followed that assumption pretty rapidly. And for probably my first few years, I didn't even question the fact that I was gay as opposed to more than just attracted to men. Mm. so I took a label I got a box I felt safe in it I knew how to play that role talk about that role be that role in the world and then mm. one day you know it was probably the same semester I met this female librarian who's around my age who totally 
turned me on and, and had me drop my guard. I walked away like red in the face, like, holy crap. Like what, what in the world what just happened? happened? Yeah. And I was, you know, not that fresh off a breakout with a dude. And here I was this very strongly identifying gay man realizing that I have romantic and physical desires now for a woman. Uh, okay, wait. And just to be clear, this was in the library. That this oh happened. yeah. She was one of those people at the front was... desk you like return books to and she giggled and her giggle just like was devastating to me. Oh, it was the thing gosh. that like opened me up. Hey, okay. This is just, this is so hot. <laughs> Do you have a librarian story, Kayla? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't. You know, I I did have a scene one time in a library. (laughs) So that was that was pretty hot. Um, But yeah, there's a whole I mean, just, you know, when you think about the environment of a library, all that knowledge to me, I mean, it is just the perfect setting for the erotic. It really is. So I'm just, I'm very into the idea of you flirting with this librarian. And the other thing that I want to just like call out to my listeners here is this, um, like what I hear and what you just said is you had, you noticed something in your body, right? Like your head was like, no, no, we're gay. So we're just into men. But then there was this deeper truth that moved through your body and it was completely undeniable. And unnerving. Like, I won't tell you <gasps> it was an experience. I wasn't at the library like, oh, this is what I feel. This is great. I was like, holy shit. Like, what the fuck? Because I knew the feeling. I felt it in a different way. And I will say my attraction for male presenting people does differ from my like energetic experience when I'm attracted to more men presenting and I'm attracted to all people now um, across the board but like in that moment I had been so comfortable and unchallenged in my gay box as like a cisgender man especially that when I realized all of a sudden oh no if it isn't my truth I booked it no pun intended I left the library (laughs) and I was like I need to go do something like what what in the world Oh my gosh. Wow. And so what, uh, you know, I know sometime between then and now you've come to terms with this. So, um, what, what started to unfold with this like realization and energy that you felt? I think I still resisted it for, you know, a little while longer until I met, um, a grad student who was, transitioning you know female to male and totally took my breath away too and then I just had to like come to the terms that my like desire is actually so much broader and my like desire to connect really like I feel is at a philosophical level let alone romantically or, or physically or energetically like they're just people who turn me on and that I'm so enamored by that mm. it would be it would be hurtful to me and almost unethical to me to, to refuse myself um, the possibility to be connection uh, with these people. So that was probably the final straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, okay, it's people in general and I don't need a reason. I don't have like the the blueprint or, or like the, the numbers behind why. Hell, I was filmed for the resource center and they asked me how I identified one day. And I said, 97% gay and 3% of everything else. And the person <laughs> filming stopped and was like, Craig, 
what the actual fuck was that? And I said, hey, you asked me how I identified, and that's where I'm at right now. So you can keep it, you can leave it, I don't care, but that is me. <laughs> Wait, that's sort of funny, someone asking, what the fuck was that? Like, what? At the resource center of all places. I'm just supposed to be like the, the ones queer, who are like... <laughs> at the queer resource center? <laughs> Yeah, it was a student at the time who I think was just really taken aback by the fact that I was, I presented and was openly gay for so long and that here I was saying, oh, actually, I'm more or I'm not just this one thing. There's actually more yeah. to me. And I find a lot of people that I coach and work with like that, that's one of the initial challenges they face is they identify one way for so long. And when they begin to have that inclination that there's something else, how do they own it? And do they have to verbalize it or voice it? And yeah. if they do, how do they be with others who, it might not be their stuff that they're receiving. It might be these other people's own lack of understanding or, or being challenged over our own changing identities that we then get hit with. Right. Yeah. You know, this is, this brings up just, I think, at least what I think is an interesting conversation and just, you know, when you look at um, labor labels and identities, you know, on one hand, right. It's like a place where if you identify in a certain way, then you can feel like you belong inside of a group. But then on the other hand, to your point, labels can be so limiting, you know? And I remember like when I related to myself as, you know, as a hetero woman, like, and then started having sex with women, I was like, okay, hold on. <laughs> what's, you know, what's happening here? And I remember there was a period of time where I labeled myself heteroflexible. <laughs> you know, like that's a label that exists out there. And, and again, you know, I think at least for me, the freedom that I found was just in saying like, I don't really need to have a label, you know, and just allowing whatever wants to come through. And that's, that's the thing that I personally want for the world is like, I think there's totally a place for labels, but I really, in my work, I want to encourage people to step outside of that and just say, Hey, like follow your desire. If it serves you to choose a label, then great. But like, just follow your desire and don't let what you think you are get in the way of that. Totally. I mean, I think this is why coaching and queerness or coaching in our identity is so like such a beautiful space to, to generate these conversations and even practice trying on different ways of being. You know, I don't think that if I had or if I hadn't been faced with these one-off moments where my sense about my identity was challenged, like I could still be identifying purely cisgender white gay man and like sprinting down the highway, but I would have lost so much joy in my life. And not even just because now I'm, you know, connected with more people who I can love or be loved by, but there's, there's something really freeing to realize that, um, we're not just the one identity and we're also never meant to be. It's almost a sham to believe that we are this very static monolith of a human from one point in time. Mm -hmm. And it's just not how we experience our humanity. Right. Right. Oh, this is so, um, yeah, this is such a, such a refreshing conversation. Um, 
I just think that, um, like, I, I really think everyone is queer. <laughs> in some way in some way right and and it's like what is your uh but we just get so caught in this like okay gotta be this way because that's just how it is and welcome to how sex impacts leadership oh my gosh speaking of that craig (laughs) well no it's it's such like a a similar conversation to have because we have these norms around leadership the way we ought to be the way we should be and honestly taking a look at america right now our leadership norms come from a very white hetero no patriarchal lens and Mm -hmm. it doesn't leave room for really who we are the way we want to live or our own authenticity so What I love is, you know, like you're saying, we're all a little queer. And when it comes to our businesses and the, the C-suite execs who I end up working with is we take, how do you play in the bedroom to how do you play in the boardroom? And what does it mean to put down any of these shoulds, any of the ways it has to be, any of the ways we've been told and actually just generate from desire, really mm-hmm. a new way, not even the next level, just authentic expansion and seeing what good that will do in all of our lives. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's not necessarily about the next level and achievement and like, gotta do the goal and the thing. It's like, hold on. What is the experience you want to have? Oh, I just love that. Um, well, what, uh, what do you like? What are some of the things just as you think about, you know, you're having this conversation with your clients and, and with yourself, I imagine. Um, what are some of the things that you are learning right now um, about like bringing bringing what you have in the bedroom into the boardroom? <laughs> There's so much. First off, like there, there are really no areas where there isn't going to be a connection or a parallel. But mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite places to go right now, if it's not communication, because how you communicate about sex is really a huge playground for breakthroughs that can really impact your communication and your business, asking for what you want, saying no to what you don't, putting up boundaries, getting your needs met. Like, come on, people, if you're an entrepreneur, you're feeling tired and burnt out. Take a look at what you're doing in your sex life and see if there's room to grow and how you might practice that same stuff in your business. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a complete playground. I think just even that the practice of like your boundaries of like, are you, are you a yes to this or are you a no to this? I mean, I learned that through, through my uh, BDSM work, you know, but there's, there's a lot of uh, places, you know, that you can, that you can play with this. and, and I'm, and I'm curious for you, like what, um, what are some of the conversations that, that you are having with your clients around boundaries? Cause it's, it's like, that's a conversation that I feel like is just being thrown around, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, what are we actually talking about here? Yeah. So there are different zones or ways to anchor conversations about boundaries. So like when I do couples sex coaching, one of the things we look at is, What's the difference between boundaries designed to let love in and support keeping out unsafe experiences 
versus how a lot of us learn boundaries, whether intentionally or otherwise, which are how do we protect ourselves at you know, any cost. So the first part of the work is really learning to identify the difference between those two and also leaning into the practice of setting healthy boundaries. Because for those of us who maybe are, you know, I've got some people pleasing in my background. I don't know about you. Maybe that's why I'm going to switch today. <laughs> so, uh, but it can feel really aggressive. Your first few times setting a boundary, it can yeah. be very confronting. And sometimes people new to setting boundaries do it from a place of from anger, unintentionally. Mm -hmm. But this is like the, the basic building blocks is what is a boundary as you know it today? What could it be in a way to actually support you and your partnership and your well-being? And now how do we mm -hmm. practice this together in the moment? Because if it's new, when push comes to shove, let's be honest, we go back to our patterns unless we mm -hmm. practice things in the moment when things are good. And that becomes really the, the nexus of our, our work for a lot of initial uh, conversations. Right. Totally. Well, you know, and this, I love this distinction and, and I'm, um, I might botch some of the wording, but it's sort of like the distinction of um, a boundary that is based in fear and control versus a boundary that is designed, as you said, designed to let love in. Um, nailed it. Yeah. I love your remix of it. Much more. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel very seen, Craig. Um, but the, well, and I, you know, I, I would I would argue that the first one is not even really a boundary. Like that's just like control, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Will you give just so that um, I think I know what you're talking about, but will you give some examples so that my listeners can like uh, <laughs> like I just think this is so fun to play with. Yeah. What's an example of a, a a boundary quote quote unquote that's not really a boundary but more like a a control mechanism? Yeah. So we might turn to, for anyone who's ever gone through a breakup, uh, has had that like declining relationship the last few months where we're walking to eggshells and we start mm -hmm. looking at our triggers, a boundary from control might be around, uh, who your partner mm -hmm. lets you be with or not, right. Mm -hmm. Or what, it, uh, things you're allowed to say, to do together, whatnot, not from a place of adventure love and exploration, but really trying to limit the number yeah. of triggers that your partner experienced or the quote unquote risk factors of you being with somebody else. So those are false boundaries made from control and fear. You can hear mm -hmm. the bit of toxicity that might be coming from that place. That's really meant to just limit pain. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, this is, I just love this conversation because I can hear a practice in here for people to just pause and ask themselves like, okay, where is this coming from? <laughs> and like, what is my intention? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, consider, I tell people a lot of times when we're setting boundaries, there are some simple rules to follow. And one is to do it when you are well-rested, hydrated, fed, and you're not horny. You want to know a perfect time to set boundaries? You get off in whatever way is appropriate to you. Because if you are horny, I'm going to tell you, like your brain actually functions differently. It lowers a lot of your reserves for logical thinking. And your boundaries all of a sudden become very porous. 
very wide and you're open to doing a lot more. That's why for anyone who says, I won't text my ex to your friends and at 11 p.m. or 1 a.m. you do it, it's not actually like a character flaw. It's just that you might be Mm -hmm. tired and horny and your brain (laughs) is reducing the control your logic has and is trying to get you what you think your body needs. Oh my gosh. Um, I just love, I just love that so much. The, uh, do not set boundaries when you are horny. (laughs) No, talk about letting love in. You're going to let a lot of things in if you're trying to set boundaries when you're horny. So I say write them down when you're not. And in that moment, you can turn back to the boundaries you wrote, knowing what actually was the intention behind them right? To support Mm -hmm. you and say yes to a healthy, loving relationship or adventurous play that you know is good for you. And sometimes the desires we have to be fulfilled by partners that might not benefit our journey may become much more easily said no to. So we can say, Mm -hmm. oh, by saying no to this, I'm saying yes to these other things. And uh, yeah, you might grab your vibrator on your bedside instead of (laughs) reaching out for the phone or whatever flesh jack you have, depending on your appendage of the day. You know, I mean, options people. Oh my gosh. This is just cracking me up. I, I love it. Um, and then anything that you want to distinguish around how you translate that into the boardroom? Ooh, ooh. Okay. So <laughs> if we consider this as like a place to practice life by design, yeah, you know, totally. and we actually lead with the belief that you could have a, um, a pleasurable business, right? We Mm -hmm. put down a story of I have to suffer. It has to be hard work. Business has to be painful for me to get ahead. If we, for a moment, lay that down, I believe that we can have a pleasurable business. Boundaries Mm -hmm. become, how do I design my business to also let in love and abundance and pleasure and Mm -hmm. create it? And Mm -hmm. how do I set up boundaries that actually support everyone in the space experiencing that? Uh, not saying there won't be struggle or hardship that's part of the process, but yeah, a process that supports everyone. And how do you then create boundaries that give away or keep out the other experiences that maybe detract or don't serve? So it's a lot of what mm-hmm. is not pleasurable here um, totally. that I can get support on elsewhere, or what are the projects that aren't serving me that maybe I just need to let go of? Mm, letting go of projects that you're not turned on about. <laughs> yeah. That is, uh, that's a tough one for people, mm-hmm. you know, in a corporate world where it's like, but we said we would do the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and how do you um, infuse desire into corporate conversations? Cause I know you, you know, you speak that language. And I imagine that when executives come to you and you start getting them into their bodies and into a conversation about desire, like it's not this, the kind of conversation that most executive coaches are having. No, but (laughs) it is the experience. So many executives as people want to have So Mm -hmm. desire in bed looks like what's the experience overall, the connection, the physicality, the sexuality, the play, anything, right? Mm -hmm. The real work there is opening up your horizons to what could be possible that could feel good. And from the the C-suite perspective, it becomes one about uh, vision Mm -hmm. and uh, the phenomenological. So what is the vision we want to create? 
and what is the experience we want to have here, and what could be so juicy about both of those. We would go all in in a way that's actually healthy, supportive. I say all in. I don't mean workaholics. I don't coach people to work yeah. more. Normally help them work smarter and less. Yeah, but totally. like the desire becomes wrapped in the vision and the experience. Because a lot of C-suite execs I meet today, uh, the vision is like the payoff or it's mm-hmm. like the result they create as opposed to uh, the actual experience of creating it. So all of a sudden they mm-hmm. design their lives to fight hard and work hard and play hard and go, you know, 90 miles an hour only to one day get this like blip of joy or an early retirement or a lot of money when they could be reaping the abundance, the adventure and the love every step of the way. Um, Mm. This is how you end things like burnout, how you keep employees happy, how you help employees either move on more rapidly to what really is for them or help them invest even more in your company that is for them. Uh, in a way that really resonates with who they are, their spirit and their body, you know? Yeah. Right. There's nowhere to get to. <laughs> we can just be here. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine a world founded upon that? Working on it, baby. Working on Working it. Working on it. <laughs> I know we're doing that hand in hands. <laughs> We need more. If you're listening, join us, please. (laughs) Please join us. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Um, Wow. This is just um, what a, what a, I knew that we were going to have a fun little delightful conversation today. And I'm just, um, yeah, tickled at all of the little places that we took or that we went to on this, um, on this journey. Um, as we start to wrap up, um, I'd love for you to share about your work and, you know, sort of what you have coming down the pike in your business, the kinds of people you work with, anything that you want people to know about that. Yeah, happily. So, uh, first off for y'all listening, thank you for listening. Hope you had much fun as we did because I'm elated to have laughed so much in less than an hour with you. Um, but for those who are interested in my work, what what I do is really what was shared at the top of this, this conversation, which is I help people who are already successful say yes to the life they want and to really do it without limitations. When I say adventure and abundance and authenticity, I mean having the fun you want, whether it's in the office or elsewhere, an abundance that doesn't have a qualifier attached to it, be it mm-hmm. love, be it money, saying yes to the things that maybe society says are not for you, but you know will make you sing because you cannot let go of those thoughts. The people I support and coach are those who know that there is a part of them that wants to create more, to experience more, and who are ready to relinquish the story that they can't. So my work goes across many parts of the world right now. I've got clients in Singapore, Sydney, to the States, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, But if you feel called to actually not live that next level life, but to expand your authenticity to capture it all so that you're actually just an embodiment. You don't have to achieve more. You can just create what is for you. Hit your boy up. And I would love to have a conversation just on that. (laughs) Yeah. We're not talking about leveling up here. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's no leveling up in bed. (laughs) No, we don't, we don't do that in the desire world. Um, Amazing. Uh, well, any uh, any last words, anything that you want to leave people with? <laughs> yeah, let's see what remaining golden nugget I might have. 
know, one thing we didn't touch on yet. And Ken, were you an athlete in a past life? I was. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if this was your journey. My journey initially in sex was I loved it because it felt physical and athletic. And I wanted to perform every mm-hmm. single time. And a lot of the clients I work with, because they're, you know, powerful people who have performed elsewhere in life have this experience. So ah. the nugget I'll share is this. Uh, the beauty of connection, whether it's sexual or otherwise, really begins when we learn to put performance down and pick up play. And when it comes to like creating the life that you want in your business, it's the same thing. Putting the need to achieve or to perform more down and to realize that from play expansion, you naturally pull in what's for you and also naturally push out what's not. So if you're out there feeling like you have been striving for so long and you're either not getting the relationship, the sex life, the, the business success that you want, consider taking a look and just asking yourself, where am I trying? to perform and what has me, you know, going to performance so often and what might there be for me to gain if I just leaned back and started to play? Mm. <laughs> I love that. Mm. I needed to hear that today too. Thank you so much for your generosity, Craig. I just, I so deeply appreciate you and everything that you stand for in the world. Thank you for being here. It's been a joy. I'm energetically giving you the biggest hug right now. I'm so glad we're friends. We're finally connected like this. I know. (laughs) I love it. All right. Bye everybody. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you got something from this episode, please share it with someone in your life and pop on over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. I'm so committed to more people custom creating their sex, relationships, and lives from desire. And this podcast is a big part of that. If you have ideas for the show or want to learn more about working with me as a coach, head on over to my Instagram at Kaylin McDuff or my website, kaylinmcduff.com. See you next time.